Welcome back to The Bench. I'm your host, Jessica Murray, the communications coordinator right here at Mercy Church. If this is your first time with us, welcome. The Bench is a podcast where we discuss the content, themes, and topics we weren't able to get to in Sunday Sermon. Today, we are continuing to release content from the Redeeming Sex Weekend that address what the Bible says about topics like purity, intimacy, and sexuality. The content was amazing, so we wanted to make the sessions available to you right here on The Bench. In today's episode, we'll be listening to Spence Shelton's Saturday evening session titled Redeeming Intimacy. We felt like after Sunday sermon on lifelong love, this felt like a timely release. So let's dive right in. Oh man, what a weekend, y'all. I've been thinking about this. This is the first conference we've done in like two years, and in many ways, the first conference we've done of this kind of scale, I think. Um, And I feel like I need to acknowledge a couple of folks that if I don't do it now, where we wouldn't do it. Um, The first would be uh, Corey Little, who is our equip director, and she's somewhere... She's probably not even in here. She's out doing stuff. Um, Man, she's done so much uh, to get this thing, pull the scene together, Um, and really the whole team. And that also includes Pastor Richard Barnes has done so much work. There's that guy. He's somewhere. There he is. Um, Y'all, it has been a... um, Man, there's many more that have helped to support and pull this thing together. I know the list could go on because we're a team around here, and that means so much to me. Um, As I was preparing for my time tonight, for our time tonight, you know, being the last person, the last presenter, speaker, whatever you want to do in a conference, you kind of know you got to listen to see what the Lord's doing, and then sometimes figure that out. Do you need to pivot? Whatever else. Um, T.A., who spoke last night, a fantastic job. Uh, By the way, I've only been able to like sneak. I got to be in here all of last night and then one session today. But so far, what I've heard is that every single session has been really, really strong. And I'm so thankful, whether it's uh, lots of firsts that have happened. Um, there was a, the first real anatomy lesson Mercy's ever had this morning, apparently, um, that was awesome. I mean, that's just, that's great for all of us. Um, and there is, if you were there, you know, all right. Um, and then it definitely again, uh, as I was thinking about our time, uh, the first time we've opened the conversation is why does we have uh, related to same sex attraction and related to how marrieds and singles work together in the church. Uh, another great session. We've had a couple of these through the years, but another great one on parenting and talking to your kids about sex. I'm just I mean, this has just been, the Lord has been very faithful. As you can imagine with us planning the conference, we're like, I wonder how this is going to go several different times. And the Lord is just, he's really blessed. Um, well, last night, uh, after hearing TA uh, just deliver a really good word for us, I realized, man, I was going to be talking about something very similar down to the scriptures that we were talking with. And I was praying over the, over the night. Like, it was funny. We didn't compare notes or anything before. And that never really happens in these settings. And It's like, man, you know, I think this is just the Lord has got us uh, to sit in particularly Genesis 1 and 2. Um, I think it's what he has for us. So instead of pivoting and going away from it, I actually want to lean into it. Uh, My topic for tonight is redeeming intimacy. Uh, What a topic. Um, Because I realize I'm not an expert in it. You know, I mean, as a pastor, I walk through um, people that are walking through intimacy issues. Um, as a theologian, I study God's design for intimacy. And then there's me as a husband. And I just kind of stumble through my way through intimacy and have some wins and losses as it relates to that. Um, Courtney and I have been married for 17 years. And I'll tell you candidly, this is a, a conference on redemption. I mean, not all those years have been good ones. Uh, she'll tell you the same thing. By God's grace, we've got more good years than 
bad years, you know, the, the joke that we say sometimes is we've been married for 13 wonderful years and four others, right? And that's just, anybody that's been married long enough, you recognize that's kind of the, the reality. And there's a reason people say marriage is difficult. There, there are these internal and external pressures that, that come into, uh, first talk about marriage, but it extends just to each one of us as individuals. But I think about how, you know, the financial pressures that we've gone through in our days. Like when we decided to go to seminary and quit both of our jobs, you know, we couldn't just live on love, right? Because Duke Energy wouldn't accept our love notes as our bill payment. They wouldn't. And so that, that pressure, financial pressure, that created strain and, and a tough, tense arguments in our marriage, the loss of a child, in miscarriage or the loss of Courtney's dad years later. Those have created moments of, as we try and deal with grief on new levels we never had before, instead of intimacy, that, that jumps in and creates distance as we grieve differently and don't understand how we grieve differently and are learning one another. That comes in and it creates distance instead of closeness. Having children, moving to a new city, starting a church, these life events get us really busy and they challenge our intimacy, our closeness. They put strain on it. And then not just the external things, like the the circumstances and events, they're the internal things that are often reactions to those events or just stuff that we didn't even realize we were going through and we're going through it. You know, seasons of disappointment, bitterness, despair, anger, envy, hurt, these things creep up in our hearts and they end up putting a strain on us and we become a little bit more of you and me instead of us. And everybody goes through that. And tonight as I'm talking about redeeming intimacy, I can only offer you God's word here. That's one of the hardest things to do as a pastor is to offer you a destination that I'm still kind of going towards and I'm not really there yet. I know, I know it's the right one. I know the map. I believe in the map of how to get there. It's God's word. I'm just not at the finish line yet, nor are any of us this side of eternity. And I know I haven't run this race perfectly, but it's just a line from this preacher, Alistair Begg. He says it all the time. He says, more spiritual progress is made through failure and tears than success and laughter. And I believe that. And I think it's a good word for us tonight and a good word for us this weekend as we lean into this notion of redeeming intimacy. I'm not going to talk for a long time tonight because I really do want to give us a chance to respond. I think by this point in our conference, you don't need a lot more information. I think you need to just respond to what God is doing and doing in you, how he's convicting you. You need to take a second and respond. And we've made time for that in this service towards the end of my time up here. I'm going to lead us into that time of response. It's kind of like, um, I feel like the problem that a lot of adults have, the reason that we slow down with like making progress with the Lord is because we're no longer going to camp, you know, like church camp um, or, or college, like retreats. You're not doing that anymore. So you tend to slow to, you don't have those decision moments where it's like, you know what? I am. All right, Lord, I hear you. You're convicting me. I'm going. Well, tonight is the last night of camp. All right. And we're going to do some business with the Lord tonight. All right. We're not going to paint any stones or anything, but we are going to do some business with the Lord. All right. Uh, this idea of intimacy, it's not, it's not a word you're going to find in your Bible um, unless you get some like Looser translations might, uh, if, if it's there, it'll be usually just about sex. And I think sex and marriage is instead, not, it's not intimacy, it's the fruit of and enjoyment of intimacy. 
but it's not the definition of intimacy. Intimacy is something that should be cultivated in marriage, yes, but we're designed to have intimacy in family. We're designed to have it in friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ as well. In fact, y'all, I think we are starving for intimacy in our friendships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And that starvation for intimacy leads us to go searching for it in unhealthy ways and unhealthy places. So we're going to talk about what intimacy is. I got three parts to our time tonight. What intimacy is, what threatens it, then how do we get there? What is it? What threatens it? And how does God redeem it might be the best way to say it. Um, We can't overlook where it all started. And so back, just as our brother T.A. did last night, we go to Genesis 1, chapter 26, to see what intimacy is. God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. So much, this is enough to get lost in. We're going to We're not going to get lost in it though, but you and I were created in the image of God. He doesn't say that about anything else, anywhere else in all of creation. He doesn't ascribe the image of God to, which means if you could travel a hundred times the speed of light and you could get up out into the solar system and like look down at the Milky Way galaxy, or you could travel back in time and see the seven wonders of the ancient world, none of it would show you God like holding a newborn baby. Or even like looking at your neighbor. So we're going to just stare at our neighbors for the next three minutes. Okay, just really intense. No, but you you get my point, right? This is as close as you get to seeing God. It's people. And the us that he says three times, let us make man in our image. This is God nodding to the reality. He doesn't do this in any of the other things he created. No, but he, he nods to this reality that God is one God in three persons, the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And my point here is to remind us we're created in his image, right? Which means we're to experience something, we're created like, according to our likeness. We are to experience something like the intimacy that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit experience. They, want, they know one another fully. Jesus says this as much as in the Gospels over and over. I and the Father are one. To see me is to see the Father. I'm here to do my Father's will. They celebrate one another. C.S. Lewis called it the dance of the Trinity. They celebrate one another. They honor one another as they know one another. God tells us more about this design in Genesis 2. Um, T.A. said the way he said it last night was Genesis 1, macro, Genesis 2, micro. Well, Genesis 2... So I'm going to start in verse 22. The Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman, brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds, this is the intimacy language, bonds with his wife and they become one flesh And both the man and his wife were naked and yet felt no shame. To experience intimacy in marriage, it's true everywhere, but to experience it in marriage, it means you can't hold anything back. Leave father and mother. Not just kind of half one foot in, one foot out. 
leave father and mother. It's a huge thing now. It's a big thing. And the reason some marriages struggle with intimacy is because the boys who have beards have left only halfway their mom and dad and have not left mom and dad and bonded to their wives. It's big now, but it was even bigger then. Give yourself fully, put yourself out there, be vulnerable, bond to her. And yes, they became one flesh physically, but the bonding's far more than physical. It's whole life bonding. And here they are, fully naked before each other and without shame. That's where you see intimacy. Intimacy is vulnerability met with love. It's being fully vulnerable and being received as you are fully vulnerable with love. It's the result of being vulnerable with someone and in having that vulnerability met with love, I see you fully, and I love you. And God chose to reveal that. Think about this. God chose to reveal how he created us. Chose to put this in scripture, told Moses about this. Moses could write it down and tell it to us because of the impact. The reason he does it is the impact of our sin on us is going to take us so far off of this course. And we need to know where we're supposed to be going. We need to see that what the human heart now aches for, intimacy, it is a God-given thing. And what we don't want, the thing that kills us, is loneliness. It's isolation of not being known and not being accepted, of not belonging somewhere. I'm not talking about personality. I think you know that right here. There's a difference between alone and lonely, Right? Introverts like more alone time than extroverts, but all of us need some alone time. I'm saying what we want is to be, as we said yesterday, fully known and fully loved. We long to belong to others, to have some people say, you're my people, right? You are home to me. I watched this show, um, it's on the History Channel, it's called Alone. I think I might have mentioned it before. It's awesome, okay? If you haven't watched it, it's, it's like what Survivor should have been, I think, okay? You're just all alone. They drop these people out in the woods by themselves uh, in some harsh climate, and they just got to live. And the last one left who doesn't tap out wins the money, right? And what always happens without fail, week one, they get out there, and they're just so, oh, man, they are so, all of them are a little bit granola, because that's why you do something like this, okay? <laughs> but all of them, they're out there, and they're like, well, I've made it to my new home. I will live here forever. Oh, you're so beautiful. Thank you, Mother Earth. And all these things that they do, because they just, they're like overwhelmed by the beauty and everything else. By week two, every single one of them are sobbing into their cameras. I miss people so much. I miss my people. They start making stick people, like actual, not like drawing stick, making stick people and talking to them like a Wilson, Tom Hanks situation, if you know that. Like that's what's going on there just that fast, one week. And I'm like, yes, of course. And then they end up tapping out. All of them will say, what was the hardest part? Was it the fact that you ate bugs and onion soup for two months? No, it was that I didn't have any people. I did that a little bit. I mean, it's a, it's a silly and very entertaining thing to watch, but it is the image of God being reflected on every single one of them, whether they know it or not. We long to belong, to be fully known and fully loved and to call something, and not just something, to call some people home. You know, we, we want home. We want some people that we can call home. 
Christ prays for us to experience that very home among brothers and sisters in the church. That's what John 17 is all about. God, I pray that it's called the high priestly prayer. It's the longest prayer of Jesus we have recorded in scripture. Go read it. But he gets to about verse 20 or 21. And he says, I pray that they would be one just as you and I are one. He's basically exegeting Genesis 1 and bringing it to bear on the church. And this beautiful prayer that he gives, this is Trinitarian intimacy. He's praying for us. And he's not talking about marriage. He's talking about us, fully known and fully loved brothers and sisters in Christ. What if the church family was home? If it was home, man, New Testament letters talk about praying for one another, carrying one another's burdens, sacrificing for one another, eating together, guarding each other against the devil's schemes and the desires of the flesh, pulling one another back when we fall into sin. This is all the language of intimacy. It requires being fully known and fully loved. This is our pursuit. Intimacy in our marriage, yes, it's being vulnerable and loved. And it's being loving when the other is vulnerable to us. Intimacy in our friendships. It's being vulnerable and loved. And when we do that, we belong. We become a part of the us instead of just the me and you. Instead of just the group. But just a real us that we're created in the image of. We're not there. We're not there in our marriages. We're not there in our church. In fact, I would say the largest or the most common frustration people communicate to me, uh, I've been in Charlotte six years now, and the one that I hear more than anything else is that, man, it's hard to build friendships here. Why? If this is so much a part of our nature, then why is it so unnatural for us to build these friendships? Why? Well, the easy answers that you Christians in the room know is, is sin. Sin messes everything up. But I want to dig a little bit deeper for the sake of trying to move us into responding to the Lord. Um, so I'm going to give you three things that keep us from intimacy. And in the spirit of my Baptist roots, they all start with the letter P. Okay. I managed to alliterate them. It actually just flowed way too easily. I didn't even really try on this. Okay. It's, uh, it's just, it's in there. Um, the first one that will rob us of intimacy is pride. It's pride, y'all. The great enemy of intimacy. After all, pride is an exaltation of yourself, which would be great if you were perfect. If you were perfect, that'd be fine. It's not a problem for God to exalt himself and to celebrate his own name. In fact, it is really good for us that God exalts himself and his own name because we're created to worship and he gives us something perfect and holy to take that worship and ascribe it to. It's good for us. He's worthy of it. But since we are not perfect, our pride is a lie. It's a lie. Not only are we not perfect, we're not even close. In fact, all of our righteousness, Isaiah says, what Isaiah 64 is like filthy rags. Most of the time, you know this, at least it's true for me, I'm like a walking contradiction. Right? I feel and think all kinds of things that conflict with one another. I'm constantly falling short of the standards I set for other people. Right? We say things like, man, people should be kind to one another. I expect people to be kind to one another. And yet we harbor bitterness towards our spouses and towards our friends. Quick to say words that just hurt daggers with our words. Pride blinds us. That's how we do it. 
And everybody else is like, yeah, I bet you wish that, but you don't even see what's going on in your life. Of course I don't. Of course I don't. Of course you don't. Because we're proud. It's so destructive of intimacy. Because what pride will breed over time is an entitled spirit. Because of who I am, I deserve for you to treat me a certain way. That entitlement creates, it doesn't, that doesn't draw you and I close. That pushes us apart. Creates distance, not intimacy. Vulnerability, however, that will lead to intimacy. Vulnerability isn't exalting your strength over another person. It's sharing your weakness. It's humility. Let me go even further. The road to intimacy is not found in being right in an argument, but in accepting responsibility for where you're wrong. In so many ways, guys, uh, for those of you that are married that are here, and this is true actually not just with, with marriage, but you can either choose your pride or you can choose your marriage. You can choose your pride or you can choose your family. You can choose your pride or you can choose your church family. You can choose your pride or you can choose your friendships. I've never, ever, listen, I'm right pretty much all the time, okay? <laughs> That's my interpretation of the thing, all right? But I've never resolved a conflict that has led to a place of renewed intimacy and closeness by sitting down with Richard and say, listen, man, just... Let's look again at how right I am, okay? And how wrong you are and how right I am. And if we just look through all the bullets of how right I am and how wrong you are, then you'll see and then we'll be close again. <laughs> Never! That's not, because he's got 10 more bullets than me anyways. This is Rashard Barnes, <laughs> all right? But it's, it's across the board, right? That's not how it works. No. But what have I seen time and time again is, of course, the model of Christ who lays down his rightness, right? For the sake of love. And so when I come and I'm willing to say, Hey, the person matters more than the argument. I, I want, I don't, I don't care about that as much. I care about you. I want that's intimacy. That's humility that leads to intimacy. See pride in relationship building and in relationships, the way pride works is it chooses to project confidence and impressiveness over authenticity. It chooses to remain guarded and unknown instead of vulnerable. I see this, y'all. I see this when we get in the church family and people are like, man, I've been around church family for a while, but I'm struggling to build relationships. I even went to a community group. I'm like, no, but were you like actually open to sharing your life with them? Or did you sit in a new seat in a circle in a living room instead of in one of these seats in a row? Because I'm telling you, that right there, where all you do is you go into a new setting, but you keep the walls sky high. We'll talk about the reason you got your walls in a second. But you keep those walls sky high and you just want to get to know some people. That might be networking. It is not church family. It's not intimacy. You're going to have to be vulnerable. You're going to have to be the one that goes first. All right, because you're like, no, if they hear the junk that I got going on in my life, they got junk too. We all do. All right, it's called Mercy Church. All right, (laughs) welcome. We need mercy. All right. I just, I, I I don't want us to be the church that you come to network in. I want us to be the church family. 
that comes to grow closer to the body of Christ. Man, in conflict, the way pride works is it chooses being right over being reconciled. By the way, I'm not saying that you are in the wrong or something like that, and you just have to have to say, no, I don't, I'll just be walked over all the time. It's not that. I'm saying don't choose your love of your position over the person. You know, it's funny. As pride exalts, it's deceptive, actually. As pride exalts ourselves, the more subtle and deeper damage it does is it separates us from others. Puts us on a lonely island away from everyone that we actually want to be close to. We really do. We want to be close. But our pride is separating us and drifting us out apart from those people we want to be close to. This is why Jesus says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled. Right? That God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what the grace God gives? It's intimacy with himself and others. So I'm telling you, as we move into a time of response here in a minute, I think for probably all of us, it's going to be, part of that is going to be just repenting of your pride and humbling, humbling yourself. First Peter, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that the proper time you can be exalted. Casting all your cares on him because he cares about you. And then he says, after telling you to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, then he says, be sober-minded and be alert. Your adversary, the devil, is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for anyone he can devour. I'm going to tell you something. I doubt the devil is going to break open through the cement and devour you, gobble you up, and take you down to hell. Okay? How's he going to devour you? It's your pride. Oh, man. (laughs) I'm telling you, that is how he's going to do it. He's going to separate you out from everybody else, and then that's how he's going to take you down. Even I've found, I'm spending too much time here, and so be it. I've even found, (laughs) I've even found pride to sneak in to confession of sin. And it will convince you, this is the enemy's, I think, one of his best tricks. Convince you to confess some of your sin and feel like you confess the whole thing. And then he can keep on just growing that thing that you never really dug out. And it's sad that when pastors have conversations and say, hey, man, somebody came and confessed something to me. And I have to say, how many times have they confessed this? Because we know that the first time it was only partial. They're not all the way there yet. That's how dangerous our sense of pride. Man, that is the enemy's tool. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. What does Psalm 51 say? A humble heart and a contrite spirit. He will not deny. And as you come tonight and confess on the last night of camp, because the Lord's been doing something in you and you need to confess it, brother, sister, listen, don't go halfway. Don't let the enemy deceive you that you've said just enough to kind of appease God or something like that. We're not playing games. Do not play games with the enemy. Confess your sin, a humble and contrite heart he is yet to deny. You want renewed intimacy in your marriage, in your friendships? It starts with humbling yourself. That's going to be our response tonight. Here's the second thing that robs us of intimacy. It's pornography. I wasn't sure that I was going to include this one because I know it feels a little bit like 
uh, specific maybe in something like what we're talking about, but I just, after last night, hearing the talk last night, recognizing what we were talking about today, I just recognize uh, the number of statistics that are out there, praise God, to kind of like, we're finally starting to see the porn problem, right? Even the secular world is saying, hey, there might be something wrong with this. This might be doing incredible damage to people. And the church is saying, yes, we've been saying that for a long time. And what I recognize, though, 65%, this is Covenant Eyes 2018's report, 65% of Christian men, 15% of Christian women, 20% of pastors watch porn at least once a month. Christianity Today did a survey of their readers last year, 53% of their readers, which we assume are Christians, wondering what's going on today, right? So why it's labeled that. And what are they doing? I can't help it. What are they doing? It says that they're looking at porn once a month to several times a year. I know we had a whole breakout on it that was taught better than, than I can by our brother Mike, but my point is to acknowledge this trap of porn is wrecking your capacity for intimacy. You're settling for imagery when you were meant for intimacy. See what's happening there? It's short-circuiting your ability to be, if intimacy is vulnerability met with love, you're short-circuiting your ability to be vulnerable with another person. It's training you to use that person to satisfy your physical cravings. It's training you to see someone solely. Remember what uh, T.A. said if you were here last night? Strip someone down of everything else of their identity and only see them by their sexuality instead of being a whole person. And y'all, the church's immersion in pornography and a lack of full-fledged attack against it is creating a whole generation of Christian zombies. They are numb to God, numb to people, as they slowly meander through life, just thirsting for more of one thing that doesn't and never will satisfy them. They're the walking dead, and they're in the church. This is what Romans 1 talks about. Romans 1.24, God delivered them over in the desires of their hearts to sexual impurity so that their bodies were degraded among themselves. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served what has been created instead of the creator who is praised forever. Amen. What you crave, you will eventually worship. And for many in the church, they've worshiped sex and it hasn't served you. It has hurt you. It's a false God. And that's what false gods do. And I just, I don't want you, I don't want anyone you know to be another statistic piled on the altar of sexual idolatry. You can be free from it. You can be. Man, brother, sister, if that's you, I just, there are plenty of people that are in here that will testify, including the brother who preached on the stage last night and several others who will testify, you can be free. Freedom from this is not a myth. The power of God is not a myth. The resurrection is not a myth. So freedom from your sin is not a myth. That is available to you. You can be set free as you return to the Father. You can experience redemption and redeeming intimacy with him. Here's the last one. Things that are separating us from intimacy. It's pain. It's pain, man. Some of y'all are just hurt. And your past hurt is robbing you of present intimacy. Intimacy with God and with others. And I'm saying this gently because I'm not right now in any way saying your pain is your fault. 
I'm saying it's there. And that, that's a reality. Listen, maybe, maybe you were rejected by someone that you were hoping to date, and that feeling of rejection, it, it's pain. It's pain, and it's building up walls to, to God and to others. Maybe you were just trying to be friends with some people, and you just kind of got rejected by a friend group or, or somebody, and they kind of drifted further away from you. There's pain associated with that. Maybe you were betrayed, not rejected, but re- betrayed by someone you loved. Maybe you were hurt or abused by someone you loved and trusted. Maybe you lost someone that you love. That hurts. All that stuff hurts. And that's just a handful of things that I'm, I'm just quickly bulleting here. I, there's any number of things that have brought on just a reality that you're walking through life. I feel like all of us are walking through life with nothing else, a little bit of pain after the past 18 months. And what I know is that pain builds walls. Because we are in our pain, and I can't trust. I, I, I don't want to trust that person. I don't want to trust anybody. I don't, I don't want to trust. It builds walls. And it's human nature. Sin nature, anyways. It's a self-defense mechanism. And so to you who are in pain, I offer you Jesus' words from Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. Come to me. All who are weary and burdened. That's pain language. I'll give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke and learn from me. Because I'm lowly and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. You will find, he says it twice. I'll give you rest. You will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The requirement for coming to Christ is weariness. Heavy burdens. That's actually what we are supposed to bring to him. Our baggage. Our burdens. Our pain. And he'll take it all from us. And the receipt that he gives us back is rest. Rest. Rest from the weight of our pain. He's lowly and and humble. The ESV translates humble as gentle, like a a shepherd. When you come to him, you'll find rest for your soul. Y'all, a soul's rest, it's intimacy with God himself. He offers us a burden to carry that's not a burden. Easy and light. It's a walk through life that we were actually meant to carry. What a gift. Jesus goes around offering this exchange in his ministry. You notice this when you read the, the gospels? This is the exchange he just offers over and over again. And one time he just lays it out there so that all of us throughout uh, the rest of time will be able to get in on this exchange that he's offering in his ministry where he heals the leper. He heals the blind man. He heals the dead girl, the dead man, the greedy tax collector, the demon possessed, the adulteress. And over and over he says, give me your burden. I'm right down here, lowly, gentle. I'm right here with you. I'm right here with you. Gentle and lowly, accessible. You don't have to go to the far regions of Nepal and climb up some big mountain in order to finally find what your life's purpose is and the guru who will tell you something. No, I'm down here with you in the mess. Give it to me and take my rest. But to do that, what does it require? To give that to Jesus? 
vulnerability. You gotta be willing to admit you need his help. You gotta be willing to tell him what it is. That's a vulnerable spot, but it's where he goes to work. And that's kind of where I want to move us to in the time of response. Time to allow the Lord to interrupt your path, bring you back to himself, or maybe just encourage and fan this flame of faith that you've walked through this weekend and Lord willing, just give you a chance to respond in that way and draw nearer. I think, like I said, a lot of us just miss out on these kind of decision moments to surrender and respond to Christ. So what's keeping you? What's keeping you from intimacy with God? Is it pride? Is it porn? Is it pain? The response to all this begins in turning to Jesus. Whether it's turning from sin or opening up about suffering. For, let me just say, for sinners, the gospel of Jesus is your answer. He says in the gospel, your sin is way worse than you thought possible. You would probably only confess about half of it. It's actually way worse than you even realize. You thought it was just a little thing or a hidden thing. It's not. He sees it. He has separated you from God and sentenced you to eternity in hell apart from him. It's terrible. But the announcement of the gospel is that God's love goes further than your sin. It goes further. And for those suffering, God's love is stronger than your suffering. Yes, we are still sinners even as we suffer, but... I'm saying he's able to meet us and heal us from the brokenness and pain that we're in. And I'm just saying where you start, he'll walk with you. You just hand it over to him and he'll walk with you. So here's how we're going to respond. I'm going to have the band come back up on stage. We're going to have two songs, all right? The first one, they're going to sing over you. So it'll make me more like my Messiah. It's one that we wrote here just in response to the gospel and the promise that Jesus is not done with us. Like the promise that he is this calling to make us into the image of Christ, he is going to do that in you and in me. Now, as they sing this over us, we're going to turn the whole front of the stage and these two kind of pallet wall things over here into just one big altar. And it's kind of old school church stuff, and so maybe it's new to you a little bit, but there's sometimes where you need to get up out of your seat in response to the Lord and make a move just down to the way the old church used to do it was you went down to the altar and knelt down right before the altar, just signifying I'm kneeling before the Lord. I'm coming, Lord. I'm responding to your invitation. I'm, you, you say that I can give it to you and your yoke is easy, burden is light. I'm coming to you. Husbands should bring your wives down to the altar and pray over her. Pray together. Any confession, any friend that you want to pray for, right? This is not just if you've got some huge thing in your life. This is just the church responding to the Lord. Come kneel at the altar as our team leads us in this first song. This is going to be a time of prayer, okay? And they're going to lead us in the second song, and we're going to stand together, and we're going to sing, and we're going to worship, all right? So why don't I, I'm going to get us into that posture of prayer now. So why don't you bow your heads? Let me open our time in prayer. God, thank you. Think of where you tell us you are patient and long-suffering. And I'm thankful. I'm thankful for so much good work you've done this weekend. I'm thankful for so much of yourself we've gotten to see and know over this weekend. 
What a gift. God, I pray that you would now move in our hearts, convict us, but we know that conviction leads to intimacy, not to guilt and shame. We know it leads to closeness with you. So as we come down to the altar and we pray, oh, Father, I pray you would meet us here. Lift our hearts. Lift our burdens that we carry. We need you. We love you. As our team sings, you come and pray as the Lord leads you. If you are looking for more content from the weekend, visit mercycharlotte.com slash redeeming sex and check out the other talks that were recorded or you can listen to previous episodes of The Bench. Next week, we'll be releasing the last of our redeeming sex content and then we'll jump back into post-sermon interviews with Pastor Spence. That's all we have for you this week. We'll catch you next time on The Bench. The Bench.